Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You'll also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. Ever had this experience with your parents? Your dad or mom walking into the room while you were studying and you had music plugged into your ears or blaring all around and that helped you study. I'm sure your parent thought otherwise. This is among many interesting stories that were revealed in conversation with Deepak Vishweshwaraya, Vice President of Platform Engineering at Pega Systems and our guest in this episode of the Software People Stories. From cutting his teeth in hardcore engineering fundamentals of attention to detail, quality and work ethics while working at a place where you absolutely had to have your eyes and mind focused deeply on these parameters to working across industries like gaming, publishing, data storage and being an entrepreneur. Deepak enlivens this conversation with lessons on innovation, leadership, customers, transitions and much more. And that's perhaps given him a tremendous sense of perspective and a unique outlook. Listen especially to leadership nuggets towards the end, his defining moments, and if you're a Formula One fan, you can get to catch a super tidbit. And even otherwise, this one has something for everyone. Listen on. So good morning, Deepak. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I am so happy to have you on the Software People Stories. A very warm welcome to you from all of us. Good morning, Chitrak. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad that we are actually doing this. I've been looking forward to it as well. So, you know, this is great. Thanks, Deepak. So we usually start by asking our guests to introduce themselves to our listeners. How would you like to introduce yourself? Well, um, let me start um, with, with my name. My, my, I'm Deepak Vishweshwaraya. I'm basically a native of Bangalore, born and brought up in Bangalore. And I've been in the industry for... Um, little over three decades, pretty much all of it in the software product development you know, domain. About 18 to 20 years of my tenure has been in the U.S., working for various companies in the U.S., and then about the last 15 years back you know, in, in Bangalore, in India here. Currently, I am the VP of Platform Engineering at Pegasystems. I joined the company very recently, just you know, three months ago. Until, until recently, I was um, Senior Vice President and Managing Director at NetApp. You know, we, can, we can talk more about that aspect of my journey over the recording, but um, I live with my wife here. My wife is an artist, um, and then we are empty nesters at this time. I have two kids um, who are both in college on the state side a daughter and a son. And of course, we have a fifth um, person in the family, um, a Labrador retriever um, named Buddy, um, who, who grew up with our kids. So um, that's a short introduction, if you will. Thanks, Deepak. I guess it's Buddy and us at home now. Pretty much. Yes, it is Buddy and us at home. Yeah, we, we've been kind of, especially this year has been a little bit harder because the kids haven't been able to come home um, given the pandemic situation and what have you, you know, they've um, stayed put in the state side. And, and although we talk regularly, it's still not the same as actually having them here. Um, so, yeah. I certainly hope as well. I know several of our listeners hoping that this time passes quickly and, you know, we get to whatever that normal is soon enough. Where did this whole journey 
in the tech industry and product development and software start for you? Oh, well, uh, feels like a long time ago, right? Um, an, an interesting question for me in the sense that when I was growing up, I did my engineering um, here in, in, in UEC in Bangalore, right? Um, but before I got into engineering, as usually during that time, you know, during that era, there, there were basically two things. If you were anywhere, you know, reasonable in your studies, you actually just did two things. I, you either did engineering or you did uh, medicine. My mother always wanted me to do medicine. And, you know, in fact, I went and joined a medical college, you know, during that time after my, you know, plus two, after my PU. Very quickly, I realized it wasn't something that um, I wanted to do. And right after, you know, just uh, just after a couple of days in the medical, you know, in the medical college, um, I came back um, and, and joined my engineering um, studies to, to, to complete my bachelor's, um, you know, here in engineering. So, that's kind of where it, it started. Although, where, you know, funny enough that, that I did my engineering um, in, in mechanical engineering. And after I did my engineering, I incidentally came across this company called Kidlosker Computers um, here in uh, Bangalore. And that's kind of where my IT uh, journey started because that's kind of where I started really programming. I, you know, as much as we did some programming during our um, engineering courses in, in in terms of learning Fortran and whatever you, uh, my practical journey really started there. I was there only for a couple of um, years, not even a couple of years, less than that before I left to US to do my masters. Because I liked what I did at Kiloska Computers from um, a programming point of view, that's kind of where my C programming really started. That's where I learned C programming. You know, that's when I decided, okay, I needed to do a master's degree in computer science and then, you know, to, to get myself better. And then I went and did my master's in computer science from University of Texas. And, you know, that's kind of when it, it all started. You know, that's where the journey started, if you will. What happened thereafter? Where did you start yeah. out with your career in the U.S.? Well, right after my master's in um, computer science, I joined a company called AST International, which was a consulting company. We did a lot of work for nuclear power plants. It was an incredible eye-opener for me, if you will, in, in, in terms of being able to uh, be in the thick of things or, or being able to learn a couple of lessons really early on in my career, right? So being able to write software, being able to automate systems in, in nuclear power plants uh, was, was something of uh, an experience that I could never forget in, in my entire journey. I learned about being able to pay attention to detail. What does quality really mean when you do this? And then and the fact that most of the clients were in Japan, that the nuclear power plants that we were working with were, um, you know, was, was in Japan. Their work ethic and, and their attention to detail really taught me some things at that time that, that um, really held good for the rest of my life, right? That's kind of where my working journey really started. Um, so I started within the nuclear energy sector, being able to write product, you know, to do product development in, in, in that sector. From there, um, I went to, you know, spent some time in semiconductors, about five years doing product development there. I spent some time in gaming, you know, in a startup called Interactive Network on this, you know, in the United States, um, uh, where we developed gaming software. Then I worked for Adobe for about four years in, you know, in desktop publishing. Then I also was a co-founder of a startup called um, FarmQuest in the, in the Bay Area, in, in the biotech industry. 
Um, and then finally decided to kind of move back to Bangalore more for family reasons than anything. And then the last 15 years I've spent predominantly in the IT storage infrastructure um, industry. So there has been a significant, you know, transition in, in, in terms of domains, if you look at it. Um, you know, that has been that that has actually given me a solid um, um, understanding of um, how to transition between industries or uh, um, how to be able to adjust and then be flexible to be able to, um, you know, perform in, in, in various domains. Through this journey, um, I also felt the need that I needed to um, get a better understanding of the business side. So while I was in the Bay Area, um, I also did my um, MBA in, in technology management, right? And, and um, that's, that, that's kind of been my journey you know, from the starting point and having been, you know, I grew up as a developer, uh, mainly on C and Unix, um, spent 10 years as an IC, uh, decided to really move into the management ladder, you know, and then, then that's when I kind of did my MBA as well and started really, you know, looking at more leadership roles across, um, you know, my, my journey from there. So many questions coming to my mind, Deepak. So many transitions, uh, so many different domains, uh, uh, you know, starting out with mission critical, paying attention to detail, publishing, you seem to have done it all. So I guess we'll start with one question at a time. There's just a flood of them. So when you were going through these transitions, you know, what were some of the key lessons or principles that you perhaps took away and have maybe held you in good stead from then to now? Yeah, um, you know, from that point, if you, you know, even though I might have changed domains, the way I always looked at it was that essentially I was still doing software product development, albeit it was for, you know, different customers, um, you know, a different customer segment. There may be different aspects of um, the, the product development from a technology stack point of view, what have you. But essentially the practices were more or less the same as you are developing enterprise grade software um, that, that you go from one to the other. The curious thing for me was really about being able to learn a new market, learn a new domain, learn, you know, be able to interact with new, you know, customers, being able to learn a little bit about that industry. That has always intrigued me, right? And then that's really how um, it has helped me to be able to go through um, some of these transitions, um, you know, from, from, from that point of view. few things in terms of learning going from one to another. One is... Um, you know, I've always believed in uh, being able to invest, um, you know, your time in being able to learn and be adaptable to, to the new domains. You know, if you have a thirst for learning, if you have that hungriness, you know, you're always looking for something new, looking for something to, to learn. And that has helped me a lot in, 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 in terms of being able to learn new domains. The other thing was, um, you know, as I talked about the, the attention to detail, right, in, in, in terms of, um, you know, my first job in, in the nuclear energy sector, what have you, to be able to, the thought process of if you write two lines of code in a day, it better be the best two lines you wrote in your life until then kind of uh, mindset. That, that level of attention to detail um, and the hungriness for learning you know, helped me to be able to adapt 
um, to the new industry, to the new domains. Um, I also learned a lot about, you know, what we now call user experience from a desktop publishing point of view, the, the empathy from whom you are developing it for. Often as engineers, we always worry about, you know, what is the best solution? We tend to kind of make it more complex. I learned the uh, focus in terms of being able to simplify things. Um, you know, the, the focus on simplicity in trying to make it easy for who you're building and keeping in mind who you're building the software for uh, is something that I also learned through that journey uh, as well. The third thing is probably about, you know, when you design for an enterprise product, you have to think about various things. For example, in gaming, performance was, was a big thing. Um, we needed the games to be really performing well when, you know, that was one of the bigger criterias for, for the um, users to be, to be able to be uh, consistent customers for, for us and then what have you, right? So those there's always been something that I have taken away from every part of that journey. The thing about whether it is about prioritization, attention to detail, uh, the, the simplicity, the customer mindset, all of those are, are lessons that I've learned over that journey. Thanks, Deepak. I certainly see a book in the making. I hope you do write one <laughs> because again, there are so many things to learn from your experience or even listen to you perhaps. While I do have questions coming up in terms of convergence and prioritization and leadership level ambiguities that you faced, how did your transition to leadership happen? And personally, how did that affect any change in you if it did at all? Was it a natural transition? I mean, I personally know you to be somebody who really enjoys and loves working with people, but I'm sure there must have been something that you went through as you transitioned to leadership roles. What are some of those that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, I, th I think the predominantly where it really started all was, um, I, I, I was an individual contributor for the first 10 years of my life and, and I really liked what I was doing, really focused in, in, in being able to learn technology, being able to be hands-on fully all the time. You know, early on, I, I enjoyed really doing that. I think at a point in time when I came to a, a crossroads in, in, in terms of being able to make that decision, which way do I really want to grow in my career? One of the things, um, as I said, was um, I felt the need that I had to learn the business side of things. You know, that's when I decided to actually go do my MBA. After I did my MBA, I also wanted to, you know, I kind of wanted to sit back and think through in, in, in terms of what do I want to do, you know, with my career, which way do I want to take? And as you have um, rightly noted, noticed and then as you talked about, I am somebody who wants to work with people who is in the middle of things, you know, walking the floors, talking to talk, talking to my teammates, talking to colleagues, and then being able to engage in conversations that could potentially trigger ideas. And then I'm a big believer in driving innovation. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about wherever I am and then whatever I'm responsible for or my teams are responsible for, you know, how do we really drive value and innovation, right? I mean, and then that goes a lot by collaborating. And then I've always been big on that. So I thought, you know, for me to be able to flourish, perhaps I could I could be better um, in, you know, I could do better in a, in a management role, in a leadership role, um, and really started following that path from that point on. Having said that, in hindsight, you know, a lot of the times I'm still very 
I, I like the technology a lot. I still try and keep up with things. I still engage with all of our teams in, in, in terms of design and architecture reviews and get to, you know, keep up with it and and and, um, and, and discuss that. I like that part a lot. Um, but having said that, I chose this path more really in, in, in terms of being able to flourish from the perspective of working with people, perspective of driving innovation and have like the leadership aspects of um, things over time. And, and that's kind of where my journey started more on the on the leadership side on the management side if you will that is really interesting and in fact when you talk about innovation you've worked in you know product companies and in product development most of your life and even while we were colleagues at netapp i know that innovation was one of the big survival challenges for any product company. Yes. So when you talk about value and driving innovation through collaboration, how easy or difficult has it been to bring about convergence and prioritization? Perhaps what have been your experiences and uh, what have you done to bring that about? The, the thing that you talked about in, in, in terms of both innovation and prioritization, right, um, or, or, or a couple of key things that I learned early on in my time. In fact, as a story to share about prioritization, I got my early, you know, insight into prioritization or, or sometimes I call that, uh, you know, my product management 101, you know, with my father when I was studying for one of those engineering exams, you know, I was studying for exams. And then at that time, I had this habit of being able to study with music on. And, um, you know, this was during my engineering days. And then one of the days, my father walked into the room and um, told me in terms of, you know, you need to decide, you know, which way you want to go. You either really want to focus on music and do something really good about that, or you really want to focus on your engineering exams that, that you're trying to study for and, and, and do well in that. I don't see how you can, you know, doing a mediocre job of, you know, both of these is not really going to help you kind of thing. I mean, that, that was an incredible insight for me. And even till today, I believe that has actually stayed with me you know, for, for all my life. I keep telling my teams or, or people I meet that doing a few things insanely well is, is so much better for everyone, for the companies, for the individuals, for the teams, rather than doing a mediocre job of 10 different things, right? So that lesson has been a fantastic lesson for me, thanks to my father. In, in, in terms of talking about innovation and then being able to drive value, I think, you know, one of the, one of the aspects of um, moving back to India is, is, is kind of what enabled me to even drive this further, being able to do it, um, you know, in India for that matter, right? You know, with, with all of the global in-house centers, a couple of the companies I've worked for in the last 15 years. The idea of being able to drive innovation is, is where you can provide value for your company from a future perspective. You, you actually look at the future and you design for the future. This gives a lot more capability for people to become visionaries and, and, and it allows people to be able to take risks. Um, I think that is another big part of it that, that people learn as we try and innovate more is that um, it gives the ability to pay, you know, for, for people to take risks and also to fail fast. If we have that culture and build that culture, you, you, can, you don't have to be worried about you know, failing. You, you fail, you get up, you run, you go to another idea you know, while you're doing that. 
often enough what i've also observed is um that people get completely embroiled in 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 the tactical part of um, the the work there are always things that you need to work on a release there are always things that you need to you know address customer issues there are things that the the day to day operational stuff that um, that that one needs to worry as a manager as a leader of a team or or even as a member of the team who's working on things you end up spending a significant time in in being able to address the, the the tactical aspects of things right i think you have to consciously balance that with the strategic aspect of your roles you have to think long term uh, when when you think about innovation you have to think um, broader you know than than just your role and being able to do that and and the ability to take risks and um, having the, the the capability to do that um, helps to be able to drive innovation in my perspective right couple of other things very important from an innovation point of view in in my you know in in my books is is one having the right team to be able to innovate you can you could you could probably do with one or two heroes um, in the in the group but i would always have you know a talented team to be able to drive such innovation you know within a company when i when i talk about a team it, it really requires the senior technical talent so that's one of the things i typically focus on is to be able to build a solid senior technical talent in your organization to be able to you know wait you know and 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 really have that customer perspective and and understand what are you innovating for who are you innovating for and um, why are you actually doing this does this make really you know a business sense in in being able to do it think things like that that's kind of been my passion whether it is you know drive innovation internally within your organization whether it is you know advising startups or helping the startups and build an ecosystem within the country you know that that kind of leadership is is really something that i've been passionate about thanks deepak and in fact i'm trying to see how best i can club two questions here you talked about you know innovation through the eyes of the company adding value to the business and you talked about customers and having seen you and worked with you this was a question i wish i had asked you or spoken to you more about you were always talking to customers you were visiting them you were sitting across the table from them and bringing back so many insights what have been some of the key things that you've done to establish and develop those relationships with customers to to get to really understanding what's the core of their problem and then bringing it back and translating it to the engineers and so you can actually address their needs what has that experience been like that that is one one part of i think leadership that that people to recognize the need um to to meet with customers unless you do that you're so internally focused that uh, you you will actually miss the mark in 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 terms of you know what what is that that's what customer empathy is all about um if you want to really understand what is in customers mind i think the most important thing that i did was listen half the time when you actually go to customers what they want you to do is to listen to them number one is this is really about being able to listen listen and understand their problem they're actually giving you um, a huge gift in, in terms of giving the feedback about how your product is doing what some of their challenges are and they're looking at you as a, as an advisor because they know 
that you are actually talking to multiple customers. You are actually talking to, you know, other customers of similar nature, perhaps that, um, you know, whether it is in their same domain, whether it is their competitors, whether it is, although they don't expect you to share particular details of, um, you know, what your experience may be with a competitor or, uh, um, or somebody else in the industry, they also expect your advice in, in, in terms of what is the best way to use your products? What is um, what, what does the community data tell you? If there are 10 customers using it in a particular way and they're taking advantage of it, and if there is an 11th customer who is really having a problem using um, you know, your software or using your products, you can actually share with them, you know, here is what I've learned from talking to 10 customers. And then often enough, they're very, very receptive in, in, in being able to understand the best practices in being able to hear that advice, right? So a lot of that is just, come back to you know I, I, I kind of bring that back to the teams and then talk about that um, with the teams you know in, in the, the hope of a couple of things one um, it gives them a perspective of um, how customers are using and what some of the challenges are and how do we design our products better and how do we build our products better uh, the second thing is really give them a insight into why should they be talking to customers? What is it that they could actually gain? What is it that, um, that how can they get the, the, that, that customer empathy directly? I learned a very hard lesson early on in my life when I was a co-founder of a startup in the United States. Um, we developed the software in the healthcare industry and I'm, I'm not a healthcare person by any means, right? I'm not the expert healthcare. Of course, in the founding, you know, with, with, with the co-founders, we had one of the experts um, in the healthcare industry. Even then, in fact, this was one thing I probably look at as a, as, as a failure or a mistake that I made early on and then you know, what I learned from it. This is kind of where I learned really all about customer empathy or, or really understanding the customer perspective. We designed the first version of the software product that, that we wanted to release to the market. And because we were a startup, we, we were always, of course, bootstrapped and strapped for resources and, and trying to get the product as quickly into the market as possible. We went about building the product the way we thought customers would like it. And we recruited a set of customers to be able to, um, you know, share that version before we went into the market. And then when, uh, when, when we presented and when we demoed the product to the users, although we had talked to some of the executives in the industry, you know, in the biotech industry, we hadn't really envisaged or, or really had spent time with the specific type of users you know, for that um, software product. And uh, when, when we first, you know, showed that to the set of users, they were all very happy with the idea. They were all very happy with what we were addressing. They were all very happy with, um, you know, the, the work that was being done or what have you. But it, you know, really didn't serve the way they used to do things. They, they ended up having to change their processes. They ended up having to, you know, they would have had to change their pro, you know, processes. They would have had to change their way of working in order to use a product that we developed. And when we can't expect a large corporation to be able to change the way they do things just because we want them to use our product. And as, especially a small startup that is coming out with a, a brand new product um, to be able to help them, right? That's, um, so that, that's, a, that's an early on lesson for me in, in terms of customer perspective, to be able to focus and understand the, the users and how 
what processes are they using? How are they? How do they work really day in and day out? Really understand their patterns, understand their processes, understand their best practices, and then be able to really design your product from that perspective rather than what is the best engineered product. That That's kind of was a, was a huge lesson for me. Some of the very large customers um, I've been to, I've learned a lot from them in, in, in terms of the scale of the, the products that, that you end up having to develop and, and, and things like that. For example, whether it is large financial, like for example, in India, I worked very closely with a large financial um, institution, the largest financial institution in India for that matter. Um, their ability to be able to deal with the scale of um, a country like India is, is unbelievable. Having 50,000 plus ATMs or um, 100 plus million accounts and you know what have you the, the idea is to be able to establish relationship with executives at, at, at such corporations that um, you can get insights on what are their visions where are they driving and how do you help by innovating how can you help them achieve some of their some of their vision um, right within within their own organizations and then that is what I've been able to do over time being able to spend time with customers and kind of bringing that value back to the corporate Thank you so much, Deepak. Such a wealth of information out there. In fact, two questions coming up to my mind. One based off of what you just said was establishing relationship with those key executives and decision makers. So question one there is, what point in time in that relationship do you know that you have their attention and they're probably saying okay to you. I'll go with you. I'll listen to you. You started out by saying that, yes, listening and understanding what they have is so yeah. key. And I'm thinking at some point in time in that relationship, it becomes, okay, let's walk this road together. How does that happen? And how do you sense it? I mean, as a yeah. leader and probably a lesson that's so important for startups, so many of us. Yeah. You know, otherwise it always seems to appear that we're working at cross purposes. So how does, how do you sense that? And how do you know that you have that person's attention? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. The, the way I have always approached it, Chitra is, you know, number one is, you know, as, as we talked about listening part, right? We already talked about it. I think the number two is you are actually walking into those meetings or, or you know, you're walking into their, the, the customer's um, meeting with the mindset of you're establishing a relationship. You're not actually there to sell something. The way I have always established relationships is that I am not here to sell you my product. I'm here to establish a relationship. I'm here to be able to understand your perspectives. I'm here, I'm here to be able to listen to you to start with, right? And what happens when you actually have a little bit of those conversations over time, what, what people will recognize you for is that you're not just there to make a transaction and walk away. You're there for the longer term. And, um, and, and you're, when you recognize that, where is, where is that tipping point is when somebody like that calls you to, you know, for, for some advice. Customer executives called me and, and says in terms of, hey, Deepak, I'm, I'm actually thinking through this. I want to bounce this off of you because you are in this domain. You understand this industry. You know, what do you think we should do? Um, what, what would be um, your advice? 
you know, that is when you know you actually have hit the mark in, in, in terms of being able to establish that relationship, being able to get to the point where you're not in it for a transaction, you're actually in it for a longer term relationship. There are times where you need to go above and beyond to be able to help a customer. That's another way to be able to earn their trust and respect. Um, if a customer is in trouble, in fact, in one of the, the companies that I worked for, a company you know, a, a customer that I was um, in, in touch with uh, was was affected by one of the uh, one of the natural calamities um, that that happened in the U.S. And, you know, their, their data center got flooded and a lot of their equipment got um, damaged in, in in that. And the, the company I worked for, we shipped equipment overnight to the extent that there were some people in the organization who drove their own personal cars, you know, with, with things in it to be able to help the customer get up and running. Those are kind of the stories that they will probably never, ever forget in their life, right? In, 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 in terms of how a company actually helped them get back and up, you know, get back up and running. The, the essence of the story that I'm basically um, sharing is that long-term view in building that relationship being able to listen you know, to them and understand their problems. And then when they start really asking you for advice, asking you for your expertise, asking you for your ideas in how they design their infrastructure or how they go about making their decisions, how they can understand some of the best practices that we see in our customer footprint, customer base as such, um, or the signs that, um, um, that, that you have established that great relationship. And, you know, when you say long-term view to building relationships, I also noticed that in, in my career is that any product has its own time to whether it's to build, to accept, to deploy for people to use and so on. And one question that's coming to my mind is in today's world where everybody wants everything jhatpat. You know, I want it yes. here. I want it now. I want to see the results now. And time and again, you know, this is a conflict that perhaps I've battled with internally is how do you tell people, hey, just stay there for a while, just wait, allow this to unfurl, whether it's a deployment, whether it's usage, whether it's getting the feel or experience of a product. And like you said, nurturing a relationship to the point where, hey, then you're becoming somebody's confidant and trusted advisor and all of that. So as a leader, how do you sort of balance these urgencies and the need for Maybe to use a cliched phrase, you know, instant gratification. You know, I, that, that's, a, that's a great question, Chitra, because the, the, I think we do as leaders need to separate these two things out. The sense of urgency versus instant gratification have to be separated out. The sense of urgency has to be there in an organization. You can't be, you know, we always used to hear from our grandmothers and grandfathers about this, you know, hair and tortoise story, right? In, in, in terms of being slow and methodical, could, could win the race, um, you know, kind of thing. We can't be there with the mindset, with the kind of transformations that are going on in the industry, especially especially in the last few years, the pace at which things are moving, you can't say, you know, I'm going to be slow and steady and I'm going to win the race. It, you know, that, that's not going to be, that's not, that's not going to happen. In fact, um, I use one of the quotes from a, um, a race car driver, Mario Andretti, where he actually says, if you see everything clear in front of you, you're just not moving fast enough. 
right? So it's got to be blur in front of you. That's how fast you've got to be moving. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't value longer term. You don't value that, that vision. You don't build those relationships over time because, you know, what you're doing in, in, in terms of the transformations or the changes or your sense of urgency comes from that, you know, being able to move from one to another as quickly as possible because you're moving on that curve of innovation, because you're actually moving on that path of making improvements and making life better for your customers. I think it is it is incredibly important to be able to make that distinction. Some of the product leaders often um, think about, oh, I want to build the perfect product to be able to take it to market, right? Just the same quote that I um, shared from Mario Andretti, you know, very, you know, analogous to that is, is you know, in the product world, um, we often say, if you're not embarrassed by your first version of the product, then you actually release that product too late into the market, right? So um, it, it's about, <laughs> right? So it, it's it's about being able to prioritize and, and doing a few things well, right? And in, in, in terms of how do you make sure you're addressing the top priority use cases that, that, that you're designing the product for and how are you looking at that that longer term relationships or, or the vision or the view that we talked about it's incredibly important to really separate that sense of urgency. you do want the sense of urgency in in what you do but not necessarily in in terms of letting things go from a relationship point of view from a vision point of view from 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 your own you know career development point of view or what have you those things need clear delineation in a very interesting point of view, and I'm certainly going to take away the whole blurry vision thing in a very different perspective, <laughs> thanks to this. If you were to share any defining moments in your career, especially in your leadership role, what would that be? And what are some of the messages that you would like to leave aspiring leaders with, or even people currently in a leadership role? Defining moments, um, it's so hard to, hard to pick a couple, Chitra, but uh, things that come to my mind right away is, you know, when I was able to, the corporations are always trying to become global companies. Um, all of the large corporations know that they need the talent that is available worldwide. They need distributed engineering. They need access to market. And But even then, if you look at the industry, especially in the large enterprise industry that, that have uh, this globalized um, set up, um, you know, and, and, and the global in-house centers in India, uh, predominantly the decisions um, were, were driven um, out of the um, headquarters are out of the U.S. Um, to a large extent. And then, of course, things have been changing. I think one of the defining moments for me was now when it was announced that um, I, I had a global role um, that I played sitting out of Bangalore. It, it kind of proved a, a point in, in terms of it does not matter where a leader actually is located in, you know, from a geographical perspective. As long as they are capable, they can actually have teams reporting to them from, you know, wherever, including the state side. You know, when in the last decade or so, I've always had teams some that were outside of India, including the United States, reporting to me directly and then be able to play those global roles as long as you don't use any of the excuses to come into being able to play that role, I think um, it, it, it was a great thing in my 
you know, like to be able to prove that as a, as a first, um, you know, in, in the organization that I worked for. You know, there was also a moment when I was announced as the, you know, senior vice president um, outside of the, the U.S. I was the first senior VP in the company outside of the U.S. in the product um, engineering area, which, which was another defined defining moment for me um, and then I thought it also showed an example that that um, it, it, you know, these things actually can be done um, irrespective of where um, you're located right another moment that I can never probably forget is you know my mother being at the graduation you know from from my MBA she had actually come to the US at that point in time and it was wonderful to really have her sitting there during my graduation you know ceremony when I, when I finished my MBA right so these are some things that you know that that you can never forget um, that 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 make you as a person. You know, hopefully, there are there are some things that I can share as defining moments. A couple of things I will probably repeat. Um, you know, from what I said earlier. You know, I would say in in terms of you know, do a few things sincerely well versus um, you know, doing a mediocre job of a number of things. That's that's number one. Number two is um, prioritize. If you if you don't prioritize, you will spend so much time on your tactical um, side of things that, that you will just always, all your time will go away there. So balance your strategic thinking, strategic aspects of the job versus the tactical stuff intentionally. Make make that time and, and balance that by prioritizing things. You know, that, that, that's another thing. You know, third would be, you know, make sure that you develop your network. You don't necessarily have to be an extrovert to develop your network. You can still be an introvert and then still develop a network. Often enough, people put that together and then they think, oh, I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not great in, in, in terms of talking to people. So I don't, you know, enjoy developing that network. But it is, it is important as a leader to be able to develop your network, whether an introvert, you know, there are several introverts who have been great CEOs for that matter. So developing that network of mentors, um, you know, coaches and, you know, colleagues that, that, that you can actually bounce things off of and, and um, you know, talk to people about ideas and then what have you is, is, is a great weapon to have. The fourth one I would say is you want to be an ideal team player. You should be an ideal team player and also hire ideal team players as, as, as somebody you know, that, that, that you would want to bring into your team. I was recently reading a book um, written by Patrick Lancioni. It's, it's called The Ideal Team Player. He talks about three traits of you know, a person in, in, in being able to you know, hire this ideal team player, right? The three traits that you look for in people are people being humble, uh, being hungry, being hungry for doing things and then being people smart. Um, not necessarily that, that you have to have a high IQ. It's, it's really about knowing what to say where, knowing how to deal with people, being people smart, not necessarily IQ smart per se. Those are the three traits that I look for um, you know, when I'm building a team. The way I look at it is that you want to build a team that that is going to be successful consistently, not um, not a one-time thing. So if you look at teams that win championships, if you look at, you know, a Chicago Bulls, um, you know, team led by Michael Jordan, yes, you could often win games, um, you know, single-handedly. But you know what, if he, you know, he needed a team to be able to win the championships consistently over time. I, I think that that actually is a great example of being, a you know, building a team that can consistently win. You know, lastly, I would also say, you know, be try to be the best at whatever you do. And I try to look at everything as an opportunity. 
you know, having a customer perspective, knowing what you're building, why you're building, look at all of those things as opportunities and be the best at, at whatever you do. And lastly, if you're not having fun doing what you're doing, then you're probably in the wrong job. To me, um, enjoying what you're doing is, is, um, is, is immensely important. And then if you're not enjoying it, then you're probably in the wrong job. I would actually suggest go find your passion and, and do the right thing and then enjoy what you do because you do it for a long time in your life. And then, you know, it, it makes it so much more um, easier and enjoyable. So that's, that's what I would probably tell people. Thanks, Deepak. I think a fabulous way to round out this conversation. And I would certainly look forward to many, many more. I think uh, being in the role of a guest on a podcast has, you know, simply brought <laughs> up so many more questions that, you know, would love to probably have with you at some point in time. And, and I hope we can. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, and uh, this is this has been a fantastic conversation. Absolutely, Chitra, I've enjoyed it every bit. Um, you know, th- this is this has been wonderful. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be um, part of your Software People podcast series. And um, you know, it, it's you know, you guys are doing a wonderful job in putting these things together. Um, and and I, I you know I hope it actually helps a lot of people, right? And then that's the um, that's the end goal. And then uh, for for people who are whether they're coming into the IT industry now or people who have been there even if they can take one piece of learning from a podcast I think you guys um, you know it's it's well worth your time you guys are doing a great job so um, congratulations on that and thank you for having me thank you very much We thank Siddharth for the music and Malavika for promoting the Software People stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.